we're continuing our series called Love Like That, where we're exploring what it means to actually love in the way that Jesus loved. Not just love out of our own desires or love out of our own comfort or even love out of our own tank, but what does it look like to tap into the love of Jesus and to be so transformed by the gospel, by the good news that Jesus Christ came and died and rose for you, that that love would actually transform us and change us. How do we love like that? And, and we've spent a number of weeks discussing this, and in one of Pastor Glenn's sermon, he shared this quote that has just, just rocked me. I mean, it's, it's rattled me. I've had to constantly be thinking about it over and over again, and it comes from Mary Webb, where she said, if you stop to be kind, you must swerve often from your path. Church, Make no mistake about it. We are not teaching you. We are not hoping that you walk out of this place and go, man, loving people is really easy. And loving people is really convenient. Man, I can love people. That's no big deal. No, we are talking about a kind of love that is connected to the gospel that will require you to swerve off path. This means your car may stop at certain points in the road, maybe very literally or metaphorically, to help and to love and serve in ways that are absolutely inconvenient. But in so doing, in so doing, I actually believe that we will better experience God's love for us. So as we are loving others, as we are choosing others above ourselves, we will become even more closely connected to the kind of love that Christ has for us. We've talked about five relationship secrets that Jesus gives us throughout the Gospels. And in week one, we talked about the task of being mindful of others. Then we dove into the topic of how do we be approachable, that, that people can come and talk with us, that we have an openness about us. What does it mean to be graceful in the way that we interact? And then how do we be bold? How do we be honest? How do we step into it and not live passive lives, but live proactively? And then today we settle in and we finalize, we wrap up our series talking about maybe the most important one, the task of being self-giving, the, the task of, of giving up yourself for something greater than yourself. And, and the big idea that we're going after today is this, that if you give up your life to Christ, if you just give up your life and trust him and say, this isn't coming natural to me, but I'm giving up everything that I am to you. I'm going to allow you to transform every part of me. That if you give up your life to Christ, you will actually gain more than you could ever lose. I mean, that's the fear, right? Like, if I actually follow Jesus, I mean, it's going to cost me everything. And it will, but at the same time, you will gain in the process more than you could ever lose, and you will gain in the process the life that you were created for. Our uh, student ministries team went away to a conference on Thursday and Friday. We went to the Urban Youth Workers Conference to wrestle with the conversation, how do we reach urban youth with the gospel? I mean, how do we reach our kids that are in the cities and tell them about the message of Jesus? And I just got to brag about our church for a minute because there is one individual who helps lead this conversation who is at the center of all the important table discussions. There's somebody in our church who actually was delivering breakout sessions at this conference and is one of the key voices. And his name is Eric Vasquez. And we are so blessed and so gifted because as a church, he worships with us. I mean, this is his home church, and yet he was paramount, essential in this conversation. And there was a woman who spoke. She's a hip-hop artist. She's a writer, a preacher, a singer. And she wrote this 
or she, she said this quote in the middle of one of her sermons. She said, when you have knowledge that doesn't translate into loving people better, you will puff up with pride like a balloon. God did not design you to be a prop. He designed you to love others. You see, Jackie Hill Perry is on to this idea that as we learn about who Christ is and as we dive into theology and understanding the scriptures, it has got to translate into the way we love other people people. And if it doesn't, you're merely a balloon. You're merely something for others to look at that ultimately has no use. And I want to ask us friends as we're beginning to think about the idea that we would give of ourselves the way Jesus has given himself for us. Let me ask you two questions. Do you deeply at your core, like in your DNA, believe that Jesus gave himself up for you? And then secondly, are you willing to follow suit? Are you willing to follow him and to give of who you are that he might use you? In the 1960s, there was, there was a psychologist by the name of Bernard Rimland, and he had 216 students in his classroom at one point, and he asked all 216 of them to do this. He said, I want you to write the initials of 10 people that you are close with. And after they had done that, he asked them, okay, next to each one of them, I want to ask you this question. Would you describe this person as selfish? And so next to all 10 of them, they wrote either selfish or unselfish. And after they had done that, he said, I have one last question for you. Would you go back to that list and next to each one of their names and whether you wrote whether they were selfish or unselfish, would you answer this question? Are they happy or are they unhappy? And what he found blew him away. He found that 95% of the people who were judged as selfish were also unhappy. See, as we begin to talk about giving of yourself, maybe you're thinking, well, what's, what's in it for me? You know what's in it for you? The life that you were created for. What's in it for you is joy. What's in it for you is being so connected to the gospel, so connected to the very epicenter of history, the very epicenter of what life is all about. And when we follow God, no matter how difficult and painful it may be, we will experience a kind of inexpressible joy that bursts out of us and becomes just a regular part of our lives. But getting there can be tough. And I imagine this series for many of you has been painful and challenging that if, if you've really done the internal inventory, if you've done the work of looking deep within, maybe you've learned some things about yourself. I mean, maybe you're like, you know, I'm, I'm the most selfish person I know. I literally don't think about anyone else. When it comes to showing grace, no way, not interested. And maybe you, as you've done an internal inventory, you've realized something about yourself. And I want to encourage you, if you've discovered that, you're halfway there. Because an internal, inner, an internal inventory can lead to tangible transformation in your life if you'll allow it to. If you'll allow it to run its course. But oftentimes, it's painful. I, I remember about a month ago, there was just a week at work where things were just tough. Things were painful. Things were hard. I don't remember all the conversations, but it was just a series of conversations that added up to me just feeling kind of drained and, and vulnerable. And, and have you ever been there before where it's like people aren't even necessarily saying things to hurt you or whatever, but there's just something about maybe your week and how you're maybe not sleeping or whatever. And I remember Sarah and I weren't like able to have much conversations that week. And so the week just felt off. Have you ever been there before? 
Or the week just feels off. And you're just like extra sensitive, right? Someone cuts you off and you're like, why do they hate me? You know what I mean? Like you're just like, what is going on with me? I was having one of those just weird weeks. I was just off and, and it was Thursday and I had one last thing that I needed to do. I needed to design this graphic for a sign that we were making in our high school ministry. And, and so I had finished making the design Thursday night and I was actually proud of myself. Like I looked back, I was like, this is like the one good thing I did this week. And so I, I texted it over to our, my ministry assistant, Courtney, who is just this amazing person. She's so selfless, so kind. She's so emotionally healthy. And, and she had known that all week I was having a really, really tough week. And so I texted her this picture, and I was like, Courtney, what do you think about this? I, I designed this. What do you think? And she's so awesome. She's so emotionally healthy. She's like, Eric, let's talk about it on Monday. I'm like, we are not talking about this on Monday what do you think about this? I designed it. Look, it has these pictures, these students. It's cool, right? What do you think? And she's like, you're awesome, Eric. Let's talk on Monday. You know what I mean? And I was like, no, like, I want to know like what you think. Like, what do you think about this? And then she's like, Eric, I don't, I don't really like it. And I remember I had my phone. I just like threw it on the couch. Right? I was just acting crazy, right? I just threw it on the couch. And I walked over to Sarah. And I'm just confessing in front of all of you. I walked over to Sarah. I've already dealt with this with Courtney. I walked over to Sarah and I said, my wife, I was like, I'm so mad at Courtney. She's being like so mean right now, Sarah. Like, I designed this. I worked hard on this. And, and she's, she doesn't think it's good. Like, what's wrong with her, Sarah? And Sarah's like, she's just an amazing wife. She's like, Eric, it's okay. It's okay. I'm sure it's great. She's like, Eric, let me see it. Let me see it. And so I show it to her. And she goes, I don't really like it either. <laughs> I was like, are you serious? So then I, 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 uh, so I, was, like, I was like, I just got to get out of here. And so I put on some like work, workout shorts and I put on a, a workout shirt. I put on the outfit I put on once a year. And so I'm wearing this and I got my headphones in and I just like go on this walk and I'm just listening to worship music. And as I'm walking, I'm kind of mad and frustrated and whatever. And then I'm feeling myself just kind of getting worked up and, and I just started praying. I said, God, what's going on with me? And then all of a sudden, like I started crying. And as I was, I was crying, the word that just came to my mind was scared. I was just scared, scared about the future, scared about the unknown, scared about messing things up. And he said, I had to do this, this deep dive into how I was actually feeling and what was actually going on within me in order to respond. In order to truly love and care for the people around me, I had to be honest about what was going on within me. Jesus talks about the need the importance of emptying ourselves in, in Matthew chapter 16, verse 25 from the New Living Translation. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And all of us live in this tension where we're trying to hold on so tightly to our lives, to the control, to the relationships. And Jesus is inviting us, if you will trust me, if you will give up your life, then I will do more than you could imagine. That in fact, you will ultimately find what your heart is actually looking for. Well, before we jump into how do we give of ourselves like that? What does it mean to be self-giving like Jesus? We always have to root our connections to our behaviors back to the gospel and what God has done for us. It has to be the fuel. It has to be the passion behind every single thing we do. And so I want to tell you a story in John chapter 13. You can find me in verse 1. It begins like this. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go on 
unto the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Well, the evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. And in verse 3, this is an essential, very important verse. Do not miss this. Verse 3, John tells us, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Here is what John is trying to say. What Jesus is about to do, you are going to want to write him off for. I mean, you're going to see what Jesus does in the next few verses, and especially in that culture, you would have looked at Jesus and said, this guy is a lunatic. I mean, he's absolutely crazy. There's no hope for him. And John is trying to tell us, you need to understand Jesus, like, he woke up this morning, like, in the right mind. Like, he's doing good. He had a good breakfast. He's feeling great. What he is about to do is very, very intentional. Verse 4. So Jesus got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Peter is absolutely perplexed at this point, because you see this job of washing somebody's feet, washing a Jewish man's feet, was reserved for a non-Jew servant. In fact, it was against the law for a Jewish man to wash the feet of another Jewish man because it was so detestable. They, they couldn't imagine. I mean, put yourself in Jesus' place. I mean, disciples' feet, I mean, these things are nasty. I mean, no pedicure could fix this. I mean, these, these feet are a hot mess by definition. I mean, you don't want to go anywhere near them. And Jesus begins to wash their feet as a way of giving of himself, as a way of emptying himself, as a way of prioritizing them, as a way of showing them tangibly what his love for them actually looks like. But friends, Jesus wasn't doing this to strangers. He was doing this to guys he had been in community with, that he had lived with for three years. I mean, He's doing this to Simon Peter, who is just constantly like such a loudmouth saying whatever comes to his mind. It's probably driving Jesus crazy. I mean, Jesus is doing this for, for Simon the Zealot, who, who was so politically passionate that whatever came on CNN or Fox News, he was like, Jesus, check this out, right? Check this out. I mean, he's so annoying politically. Jesus washed his feet. He did it for the sons of thunder, right? Who had, who had the helicopter mom that was like, Jesus, can you put him to the top of the list? Jesus, can you put him to the top of the list? Like these people who had stories, who had frustrations, who had challenges, who had shortcomings. Jesus knows them and chooses to serve them. Did you know that today God is doing the same thing for you? That God knows every single part of you. And you may be coming in here. This may be your first time. You may be watching online or listening later. And you're going, there is no way that God actually knows me. The truth is he knows every single part of you. You are one of his favorite creations. He knows every little detail about you. And this picture of him serving you is magnified in his death and his resurrection. That he did for you because he is crazy in love with you. Did you know that God's gravitational pull moves in your direction? And some of us are convinced we repulse God. 
That we've got the magnet flipped the other way and try as hard as God might. He just can't, can't seem to come close to us and, and we're just stricken and we're just cursed. Did you know that in the economy of God and in, in the way that things work in God's world that he is constantly drawn to you? It's why later in one of John's letters in 1 John chapter 3 verse 1 He says this, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. This word lavished right here is a really intentional word on the part of John. The Greek word, which is what the original documents were written in, is dedokin. And what it literally means is it means to give, but it's in the perfect active tense, which means that God is not just having, God didn't just give us his love, but he's continuing, ongoing, forever, always loving us. That's why translators use the word lavished. See, what it means is that at the creation of the world, God had you in mind and said, I can't wait for my people to see this and that they would know that I love them. That at his death and resurrection, he said, I can't wait for my people to know how much I love them. That at your birth, as you came into the world, no matter what the circumstances were, and maybe you look back on your circumstances and you go, I was the biggest afterthought. Nobody was thinking about me. God was. But it also means this morning that when you woke up and things are so heavy in your home right now, Or when you woke up and you're reminded that that person's not there anymore. Or when you woke up and thought, man, thank heavens I have Monday, so I only have four days to be at work and to be ridiculed and made fun of and mocked or or just rejected. That when you wake up this morning not feeling the same way you used to feel a few years ago, that God is lavishing you with his love. That even when things don't look good or seem good, God is good. That when things don't seem to make sense, God makes sense. That you can lean into him, that you can trust him because his gravitational pull is always moving in your direction. There's nothing you could do that he would look at and say, I can't forgive that. I can't transform that. I can't love that. That God is always with you. The greatest promise in all of scripture, 365 times, is do not be afraid, which begs the question, why? Like, why shouldn't we live in fear? It's because God's presence is always with us. It means there is always a way. It means there is always something to hope in. It means God is always at work, and we may not always understand every detail, but we can trust him because he loves us. Levi, I got my son, he's like a, this is so bad, I didn't play, he's like eight months old, I should know. Anyways, he's a little bit, he's, 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 he's less than a year. Anyway, um, I've got four of them, so he's less than a year. So, I walk up to that kid, and I can't help but just like kiss him, and, and love him, and wrap my arms around him, and, and I hold him in the air, and I'm like, you're amazing, like I just can't help but do that. And I'm an earthly messed up, you've heard all my stories of parenting, I'm a jacked up parent, I don't have it all together at all. Think about your heavenly father just can't help but sit over you and just be like, I love you. I'm crazy about you. And it's because God is a lavishing God 
who is crazy in love with every single one of us. Well, after Jesus serves, he wraps up the experience in verse 12, John 13, verse 12. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you, he asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. This is critical, and Jesus does this all the time. He connects what he has done for us with what he is calling us to do. So friends, don't make the mistake of just thinking that Jesus wants to kind of send you out on your own to figure things out. Don't make any mistake that this is some works-based relationship. No, no, this, to be in a relationship with Jesus is to be so consumed by his love for you that it spills out of you and you can't help but love the people next to you, especially the ones that are annoying, especially the ones that are hard, especially the ones that rub you the wrong way. And you tap into that reminder. You don't do it on your own. You're constantly going, okay, Jesus, you want me to love my neighbor, but they're crazy and, and they do the weirdest stuff and they blast rap music so late at night and, and I'm done with them. And Jesus going, I get it, I get it, but I wasn't done with you. Like, I loved you. And I want them to know my love for them, and they're going to see it through you. So how do we do this? Like, how do we actually become like Jesus? How do we love like Jesus? We provided a test in there just to begin. And in your program notes, there's a test that I would encourage you to take on your own time to kind of begin to evaluate it. But the two things I want to talk about are first, this is the first one, develop love. That if you want to become self-giving like Jesus, number one, you have to develop love, which is going to translate into going the extra mile. There was this rule in the... uh, in the, uh, in the Roman Empire at the time of Jesus, where at any point, a Roman soldier could require a boy to carry his stuff up to one mile from his house. This was such a well-known law that oftentimes boys would mark out with a stake in the ground one mile from their home in either direction so that when they were carrying the Roman soldiers' bags, they knew exactly what the law required of them. They knew exactly where their obligation ended. And it is in that context that Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 41, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them too. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them too. You see, friends, to truly develop love, you don't need to do what others expect you to do. Do the unexpected. Go the distance. Go farther. Love more extravagantly, remembering that he extravagantly has loved you. If you sense God is leading you to love your neighbor, don't do the bare minimum. Ask yourself, what would an unexpected, extravagant love look like? And maybe you're going, Eric, my life is a mess right now. I don't have the resources. When we were at this conference, there was this other pastor who spoke. His name was Ephraim Smith. In the middle of one of his sermons, he said, too often we trust more in what we lack than in what we have. 
Maybe that's you today. Maybe, maybe you're, it's so easy for you to trust in all the things that you lack, all the reasons you shouldn't love that person, all the great justifications or prejudices or experiences or whatever it may be that would tell you that person is off limits. There is no way I could love them. But what if you began to believe that because the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, when connected to him, you have the capacity to do more than you could on your own? That you actually have more than enough to love the people around you, to go the extra mile, especially when it feels like it cuts against what is so natural for you. I was uh, reading, uh, I have this friend who him and I read the Bible together and we text each other every day what God is teaching us and it's been so helpful for me for accountability and to grow and to be consistent in the word. And, and we were reading uh, Luke chapter six, verse 31 and he shared it with me from the message and I wanted to read it to you and then I wanna read you his text message. He said here, Jesus says, here is a simple rule of thumb for behavior. Ask yourself what you want people to do for you, then grab the initiative and do it for them. My friend who texted me, he said this. He said, I like this because it changes my mindset from just simply being nice to people to actually seeking ways to serve or be a blessing to someone. You see, that's the difference between following Jesus and every other religion. Every other religion is essentially don't hurt people as you would not want to be hurt. Essentially, this is what's required of you. But followers of Jesus, they don't ask, what shouldn't I do? Followers of Jesus ask the question, what can I do? That if Jesus has gone above and beyond to love me, then my job is to actively develop a kind of life where I'm going above and beyond and loving everyone that God puts in my path. And so here's here's where it gets practical. In your program, there's a box that has an opportunity for you to write the names of three people. I want you to think of people that you're either close with, maybe someone you want to get close with, maybe if you dare, if you're bold, maybe even an enemy. And then before the end of today, what I want you to do is in in these blanks right here, I want you to answer this question. What does going the extra mile look like in this relationship? And here's how you'll know you're onto something. That when you're about to write it, you'll say, I don't want to. That when, you're, when, you, when, when that idea comes to your mind, you're like, that can't be God. <laughs> or when you're about to write it, you go, that makes me afraid. I don't know about that. If we begin to do this, we will experience and know at a deeper level the extravagant, sacrificial, self-giving love that Jesus has for every single one of us. And then number two, if we want to be self-giving, we got to develop love, but then we've got to develop empathy. Developing empathy is putting yourself in another's shoes. One of my favorite passages in all of scripture is John chapter 11, where Jesus' best friend Lazarus dies. And Lazarus has a sister Mary and a sister Martha and and they're upset because Jesus hasn't shown up and by the time he arrives, Lazarus is dead and they're hurt and they're angry and they're frustrated. And then the text says in verse 33, when Jesus saw her, he's talking about Mary, when he saw Mary weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. 
The text says that it bothered Jesus, that, that the death of his best friend and the effect, the circumstances, what it was doing, how it was tearing up the people around him, it actually bothered Jesus at a deep level. Don't you love that? That, that we have a Jesus who feels, that we have a Jesus who understands. And I mean, Jesus was going to fix it. He was going to bring them back to life. I mean, why didn't he rush in at this moment and say, guys, save the tears. Save the tears for the notebook. Like, you don't need to use them right now. I'm going I'm to make this all right. It's going to be okay. Calm down, calm down, calm down, everybody. Maybe you're that person. I'm that person, actually. Who, when people start getting kind of emotional around me at times, especially the people I'm closest with, I don't know what to do with it all the time. I kind of retreat, honestly. I don't know how to handle that kind of pain and sorrow and negativity. But I'm so thankful that if I'm going to be a self-giving person, I have an example in what Jesus has done for others. Look at what happens. Where have you laid him, Jesus asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And then there's the shortest verse in the Bible. If you've always wanted to memorize a verse in the Bible, but it's intimidated you or the words are really challenging, here's your verse, okay? You're gonna get a verse to memorize and then you can say, yeah, I memorized the Bible and you only memorize one verse, but that's okay. I memorized the Bible. Look at what it says, verse 35. Jesus wept. Two words, Jesus wept. In the smallest verse in the entire Bible, we get the biggest revealer of God's heart and his approach. See, Jesus, he wept. He cried with them. He mourned alongside them. Les Parrott, who, who wrote the book Love Like That, he defines sympathy and empathy this way. He says, sympathy is standing on the shore and throwing a life ring out to a person who is struggling in the water. This is natural and most humans would do this. That's sympathy. Here's what empathy is. Empathy Empathy is diving into the water and thrashing around in the cold waves with that person to bring them to safety. This is much riskier. And it's so rare we call these people heroes. See, empathy is entering into the cold waves, the mess with people. It's getting onto people's level. And in fact, he later says in his book, he has this quote where he says, Empathy, next the quote, empathy is the single most important relationship skill we have. Now, if you are in this room, you are in a relationship with somebody, right? You're in some kind of relationship, coworkers, friends, a spouse, kids, grandkids, parents. You are in a relationship with somebody. And this is a marriage and family therapist, an expert, and he says, empathy, the, the ability to empathize, to understand, to, to get into people's worlds, to hear what's really going on is the greatest skill set you have. And what's beautiful is before they ever discovered that, Jesus modeled it. And if you're going to empathize, if you're truly going to empathize, then you've got to start by listening to those around you. And friends, can I remind you, listening is not waiting to speak, right? Listening is not waiting to speak. Listening is processing, absorbing, taking it in. And after you listen, you need to process what people are telling you. And then you need to make an action. You need to do something in response 
to the fact that you actually understand what's going on with them. I remember we had uh, two leaders at one point, and um, they were frustrated with each other because they saw a specific issue from different perspectives. And so I asked them, I said, hey, could we all go to lunch together? Because lunch cures everything. So I'm like, let's go to lunch together. And I looked to one of them and I said, hey, would you mind just sharing your story? We're just going to listen. Would you mind sharing your story with us, your life story, and how it shapes the way you see this issue? Well, they shared. Then I went over here and I said, would you mind sharing your life story with us and how your life story shapes the issue? And at the end of it, these two people, they they didn't agree with each other, but they understood each other. They didn't necessarily see eye to eye on the issue, but they they had loved each other in the process. They had become more like Christ in that way. And friends, some of you are going, okay, is this this really what Jesus wants me to do? Can I remind you of one of my favorite passages in all of scripture, John 1.14. This is the difference between every single major religion and following Jesus. The word Jesus became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. This means that Jesus didn't look down from heaven. Jesus came down from heaven. There is a huge distinction and maybe the reason your marriage is on the fringes, maybe the reason your kids don't talk to you, maybe the reason that your parents are frustrated with you is because there is no empathy because you are merely looking at situations from a distance instead of entering into them. And friends, remember that if we had a God who just looked on us, we would be in a very, very, very bad place. But oh, can I remind you of the gospel? We do not have a God who looks at us. We have a God who came to be with us. And that changes everything about the way we love one another. So I want to ask you, how is empathy doing in your life? Have you lived that out? I want to end with, um, I've been really getting into the Avengers recently. Do we have any Avengers people in the house? Here's the thing. I'm just going to confess this. I'm just going to confess this. Um, my son, Charlie, who's like seven, he, um, he is really into Star Wars. Okay, that's his thing. He's really into Star Wars. At the risk of y'all firing me, I'm just not a big Star Wars guy, okay? Just going to get that out there. Not a big Star Wars. Maybe there's something wrong with me. Maybe there's something wrong with you. I don't know, okay? But I'm just not a big Star Wars guy. And I see him get really into Star Wars, and so I had to make this decision. I was like, look, it's either going to be like I get into Star Wars, or I somehow sway him to the light, oops, sway him to the light, and, I, and, and we get really into Avengers. And so he started to pick, like, the appropriate parts to show him and, and whatever. And so I remember I was, we, we've been watching some of these together, but then I was watching one of them by myself, and I'm just hooked on these stories. Like, I actually really, but this is my nature, I just get really into it. So I'm really into it, and... And in one of them, in one of them, in Winter Soldier, there's this battle between Captain America and Bucky. Everyone know who these people are? Sorry if it's a spoiler. It was like 10 years ago it came out. So anyway, um, Bucky and Captain America are in this epic battle in the end. And everything hinges on it. And at one point, Captain America just decides, you know what, I'm, like, I'm done. Like, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sacrifice because Bucky is his best friend. I mean, Bucky is the guy that he loves and adores and cares about with every part of his being. And so he literally is laying there while Bucky is punching him and Bucky is brainwashed. He's not thinking correctly. He hasn't come to the light yet. And then Captain America says this one line to him. He says, I'm with you till the end of the line. 
Do those closest to you know that you are with them till the end of the line, even when their behavior is affecting you, is hurting you? Does your husband know that you are with him till the end of the line as he confesses sin and struggle? Does your roommate know that you're willing to extend grace as they open up about their lives? Are you a person, are you a person who because Jesus has loved you and showed empathy towards you, you will choose to go the extra mile and love others and you will begin to practice the empathy that may not come naturally to you. Because in so doing, you will know and experience at a deeper level God's empathy and love for you. Let me just close with Romans 12, 9 to 10. Love from the center of who you are. Don't fake it. Run for dear life from evil. Hold on for dear life to good. Be good friends who love deeply. Practice playing second fiddle. Would you stand up with me? Are you willing? Are you willing to be someone who sets yourself to the side, plays second fiddle? Because the God who had all the right in the world to look down at heaven, to look down from heaven, chose to come down from heaven for you. So let's worship with that in mind.